Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. See you, your bright, smiling faces. It's nice that we're getting a little bit into spring here. I took a long walk with my brother-in-law, Adam, yesterday, and it was 50 degrees and the sun was shining. I was like, oh man, like this is, this is it. Life is good. Um, so anyway, uh, we are continuing our series called The Ark of the Bible from Creation to New Creation, where we are taking this bird's eye view of the, the narrative or the, the, the story of Scripture, beginning from Genesis and moving all the way to Revelation. And so, so far, we have learned a, a number of things, hopefully. Uh, we learned in, the, in week one that God made a very good creation, right? a very good creation. And he created human beings to be image bearers and to be stewards of the earth, to be co-rulers with him of creation. We were created to live in a place of shalom uh, or peace and, and wholeness with God and with one another and with creation itself. But human rebellion brought sin and death into our world, which corrupts everything. But we saw even in Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of the fall, God promising that he would make a way to set all things right again. Then last week we saw that God chose Abraham Uh, to bear witness of him and to bring about his blessing, to bring about his salvation uh, to all of the nations. We learned that God is the almighty covenant maker and the covenant keeper. He keeps his promises to bless uh, the whole world through Abraham. But we ended last week at the very end of Genesis with... um, the Israelites were very fruitful. There's a lot of them. I was going to say multitudinous, but I don't think that's a word. So there are great multitudes of Israelites, and, um, but they were in the wrong land. And so we're going to today step into the book of Exodus. And Pastor Cameron and I were talking this week, and he's like, let me get this straight, Mark. Your plan was that we would spend three weeks of, in Genesis, and then we're going to do the rest of the Old Testament in two more weeks. And I was like, yes, that is, that is correct, Cameron. Um, and he's like, all right, I trust you. Well, he didn't actually say that part, He kind of, but I, I, I think that's what he was getting at. Um, and so today, we're going to just real quick uh, just get through um, Exodus through Judges. No big whoop. Um, So we're going to kind of move fast here, but we're going to hit what I think are hopefully the important bits. And as we begin, we want to remember that the Exodus is the primary narrative of the Hebrew people. We see throughout Scripture this story told and retold. Uh, Every year, the Israelites would tell this story again. We see this story uh, repeated multiple times in the Psalms, which is kind of like their prayer book or their psalm, their psalter or, you know, their you know, poetry of, of, of worship for the, the Hebrews. 
And so this same narrative is repeated over and over and over again. So it's very foundational for them. Um, And its promise of deliverance really resonates with us as Christ followers. It's a picture of what we experience through Jesus. So that's kind of where we're heading today. And that's why we're going to spend so much of our, our day today talking through the book of Exodus. And so, like I said, the people of God have been really, really fruitful in the land of Egypt. Joseph and his brothers have died. And so we, okay, skipping that, we see in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them and, uh, with forced, forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So right after this, and so we see the the Israelites being uh, oppressed, being forced into slave labor, and then to to try to cut down on their rapid expansion, the the Pharaoh instructs the Hebrew midwives to kill any baby boys that are born, but to allow the baby girls to live. And the story, once again, focuses on one man. And his name is Moses. And Moses was born during this time when babies are supposed to be killed, right? So his mother puts him in a basket and sends him down the Nile. And as some of you would be familiar with, he is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And the text says that she felt sorry for him. And so she takes him up out of the river and says, you know, go get a, a, a Hebrew woman to, to nurse this baby for me. And so they went and they found Moses' mother, brought her to the Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses' mother nursed Moses while he grew up in Pharaoh's household. And as a young man, we see Moses having sympathy for his people. He's watching as they're oppressed and mistreated. And one day he sees an Egyptian mistreating some Israelites. And so he kills him. He kills the Egyptian and, and hides his body in the sand, which ultimately leads to him fleeing Egypt and becoming a shepherd in Midian for 40 years. And while he's there, shepherding, kind of living in hiding... He has this incredible encounter with God. He encounters the living God in the burning bush. And so in Exodus chapter 3 it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, 
And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so God has seen, God has heard the cry of his people. And I wish we had more time to kind of sit here in this part of the story because it's such an amazing reminder for us today, right? That we aren't um, invisible to God. We're not far away and forgotten. You know, as we endure the trials and the tribulations of life, it's not that God doesn't care or isn't paying attention. We see here that God draws close to Moses and we see in, in the cross that God draws close to us. And now, with Holy Spirit living inside of us, God is always with us, hearing us, encouraging us, strengthening us, you know, making a way where there seems to be no way. God is close to us, just like He was close to Moses and the Israelites. And so last week we looked at and we talked about how God had to overcome many obstacles in order to fulfill his promises. Well, he is about to do that again, but this time he chooses Moses to be the channel of his deliverance. And Moses says, God, suppose I go to the Israelites and they ask me the name of the God who sent me. What will I say? And God replies in 3.14, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
So he reveals himself. I am the one who always was, who is, and always will be. The great creator. I am also your great deliverer. The one who made amazing promises to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who has come into Egypt to bring you into freedom. The covenant keeper has come. And so God sends Moses to to rescue these descendants of Abraham. But the obstacle that he has to overcome this time is Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh sees himself as God. He sees himself as the king. He sees himself as the one that should have all of the allegiance. He's not interested in letting his slave labor go free. And so when Moses comes to him, Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? Who, who, who are you even talking about? Who's the Lord that I should obey him? I'm Pharaoh, right? I don't bend my knee to anybody. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And so there's a, a great book called The True Story of the Whole World, and There's a quote in it that says, regarding this little passage of Scripture, it says, Thus Pharaoh and God face off. Both demand Israel's service and allegiance for themselves. But the course of the plagues makes it evident who really possesses supreme power. I love this idea of Pharaoh facing off with God. Because from the reader's perspective... Uh, the you know these first um, not first century early readers you know whoever Moses is writing this to would see okay there's Pharaoh super strong the most the leader of the most powerful nation in the world right probably a, a deity himself is facing off with Yahweh I am right like who's gonna who's gonna win this battle right we come to this and go this is stupid right this is ridiculous this is like an ant fighting an elephant like there's no chance right but there is in the narrative there's actually this tension right all right who is it going to be can can god overcome the power of egypt and so god of course as if we've read this story sends the the 10 plagues and pharaoh hardens his heart he will not listen to god he will not listen to moses and so he endures the plagues, turning the Nile to blood. Oh, I got a picture. Frogs, in, uh, the plague of frogs, gnats, flies, diseased livestock, boils, hail, thunder, locusts, and dense darkness. And through all of this, Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, to refuse to acknowledge the Lord. And then finally comes the tenth plague the death of the firstborn of all the males in all of Egypt. But the firstborn of all the Hebrews, or the Israelites, are are spared, right? They are passed over by the angel of death. And now Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. He lets them leave. And this amazing deliverance out of Egypt becomes the foundation for the the annual feast of, of Passover, Um, where Israel continually remembers this incredible deliverance. 
And so they are leaving Egypt and somehow even manage to, to, to plunder Egypt of their riches. And once more, Pharaoh decides to try to stop the Israelites from leaving. And we, some of us might remember Charlton Heston splitting. Anybody seen Charlton Heston splitting the Red Sea, right? No. I don't know if this, is, this isn't him. I almost used a picture of Heston. But anyway, so God, through Moses, splits the Red Sea. And the Israelites pass through on dry ground. But the, the sea collapses on to, the, the, to the Egyptians. And, and I've said this before, but I want to remind us that when we see water or we, uh, or we see seas, the Sea of Galilee, the, the Red Sea, these kinds of things in Scripture, it's actually really significant. Um, ancient people saw the, the seas as chaos waters. This was the place where sea monsters dwelt, where Leviathan was, right? It was this scary place. We see in the creation story, God is hovering above these chaos waters and actually controls them. Well, here again, we see God in control of the waters, declaring his divinity, right? Nothing is too strong for him. And we are reminded of Jesus in the New Testament as he calms the the waves, as he walks on the water. This is also a declaration of his own divinity, right? That he too is uh, not worried or concerned about these chaos waters. He speaks and they listen. So pay attention to water imagery. It's so good. And so the Israelites move through the the Red Sea and Moses leads them to Mount Sinai uh, in in Midian. And this is the same area where where Moses had encountered God in the the burning bush. But now the, the bush isn't on fire. Now the entire mountain is on fire. And here, God reveals himself to to Israel as their deliverer. And he promises them a good future. I'm going to read a bit from Exodus 19. He said, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so God reveals himself. I brought you out of Egypt. I am your deliverer. I am for you. If you obey me, right, you are going to be a blessing to all the nations. Keep my covenant. You will be my treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. Right? They're going to be mediators of divine blessing between God and the nations. Like This is huge. And so as they are revealed to be God's chosen people, just like we saw with Abraham, this isn't a, a calling or a privilege that just ends in them. Right? This is a calling that brings them into uh, bringing salvation, of bringing service and love and bearing witness of the goodness and the deliverance of God to the nations. 
And this text tells us that it's in Israel's obedience and their faithfulness to the covenant that is going to allow them to be this blessing to the nations. And as we're going to see in a minute, and we're going to see a lot next week, the Israelites aren't great at obedience or faithfulness. And um, they have to reap the consequences of that. How am I doing? Okay, we're still in, we are still in Exodus. We just have like five books to go, but just a little more Exodus. Uh, so God establishes the covenant with them, uh, the the Mosaic covenant, and this is the uh, instruction of God that uh, reflects His own character, that shows people how they're supposed to live in relationship with Him and with others and with uh, creation. And once again, similar to the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2, this um, Mosaic covenant, this law code that they are given, is very similar to other ancient Near Eastern law codes in, in, of that time. But it has some very distinctive elements that reveal God's priorities and how God thinks. For example, in this, this time... Uh, uh, people valued property more than other people. Um, And often the punishment uh, for stealing was actually greater than the punishment for murder. But in Israel's law, the the values are um, on people, right? And because God is trying to communicate that only other human beings are image bearers, right? They are far more valuable than whatever possessions you might have. We also run into the Ten Commandments for the first time in Exodus. These are the core principles that shape God's people so they can reflect His character. And so they receive all these, uh, these instructions and then they hold this big ritual ceremony where they promise, God, we promise to obey the, the law that that they had received. And so Moses offers some burnt offerings and some sacrifices. And in 24a, it says that Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so, again, we've got blood imagery, right? We talked about that last week in the covenant of, with Abraham sacrificed and the spilling of blood was an important part of that covenant making. We see it again here as Moses uh, sprinkles the blood on Israel. It's this declaration again, let this same thing happen to me if we do not fulfill, if we do not keep our end of this covenant. And if we want to look for Jesus uh, in in this part of the ark again, we we're reminded that at the Last Supper, Jesus holds up a cup and he says, this is the blood of the covenant, right? Which represented the blood that he would spill on the cross. Because as we enter into the new covenant, we still need a sacrifice. Blood, again, must be spilled. But this time, instead of the blood of bulls and goats that has to be sacrificed every year over and over again, The sacrifice is the divine Son of God who died once for all of us. So the Israelites make this amazing um, commitment 
and covenant to obey. And then Moses goes back up on, onto the mountain to get some more instructions. He's getting instructions for the tabernacle. And they're down there, and Moses has been gone for a long time. And they're, they're just like, what is going on? This, it's it. We've been abandoned, right? And so they're like, what, what should we do? And so they give Aaron, uh, kind of Moses' second-in-command second guy, they give him gold and earrings and rings and stuff, and, and he makes for them a golden calf. Oh, there's Moses. Here's a golden calf. And they begin worshiping this calf idol. And God is unhappy with this turn of event. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm, this isn't in the Bible. I'm, I'm just taking on the character. He's like, are you kidding me? Do you remember like, like four weeks ago? Like we, we, we went through the whole thing. We spilled the blood. You said we're, we're going to keep our end of this commitment. The top of this mountain's on fire. Like how difficult it is it just to, to sit still for a minute. And so God is like, we're, we're just going to kill these guys and we're going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses uh, intercedes. Moses intercedes uh, to, and, and God spares the Israelites. It reveals his graciousness and his willingness to forgive. God is committed to his covenant promises. And so they definitely reap some circumstances. You can read uh, about that in, in Exodus. Uh, but God does spare them for the most part. And then God instructs Moses and the Israelites to build this tabernacle. And here is a, a representation. Like somebody built this tabernacle. The real tabernacle did not have power. Um, so just ignore that part right there. But everything else is supposedly pretty accurate. Um, and so they built this tabernacle or a, a, a dwelling place, a, a tent of meeting is what, it's, what, it, what tabernacle means. And the purpose of this is that it was a portable sanctuary. This was the place where God would dwell. And as the Israelites are wandering uh, through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, the, the, the priests would pack this up and they would carry the, the tabernacle in the center of the millions of people wandering through the wilderness. And then when they would come to find a place to camp, they would set up the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, right in the middle of the camp. So it represented the presence of Yahweh. I am the creator and the deliverer existing with the people in the middle of the camp. And so Exodus ends. Okay, we're doing good. Exodus ends, and now we've got a multitude of people, um, and we have uh, a, a, they're in covenant, they're in special relationship with, with God, and they know how to be a blessing to the nations. Now they just have to get into the land. And so we come to Leviticus, and Leviticus gives more details about how people are to live in covenant relationship with God. Then we get to numbers. See, I did Leviticus in, a, in one sentence, so that's pretty good. Uh, it's a good, it's a good one. Read it. It's a good one. Numbers uh, continues the story of Israel. Did I imply that it wasn't a good one? It is a good one. It's just law. It's just law stuff, and it's good, good law stuff. Uh, numbers continues the story of Israel on the move towards the promised land. 
they're moving from Sinai, the, the mountain of, of, of God, right, to, uh, to the land of Canaan. And they get there, but we have maybe heard the story of the 12 spies who are sent into the land and they find out, yes, this is a great land. God was correct. It is flowing with, with milk and honey. This would be a great place to live. Bad news, there's some giants here. There's really strong people. They got these fortified cities. There's absolutely no way that we can live in this land. God has brought us here to die. Uh, a, a common refrain for the Israelites. And two of these spies, Joshua and Caleb, stand up and guys, and it's like, no, guys, do you guys remember? We were delivered out of Egypt, right? As if on eagle's wings. We saw God's power in the plagues. We saw him split the Red Sea. We've seen the, the manna in the, well, the manna comes later. So he didn't say that then. So, but he says, God has been our provider and our deliverer. We can go in, and with God on our side, we will take this land. He's giving it to us. This is a covenant promise. But the nation of Israel doesn't want to listen to Joshua and Caleb, and they're like, there's no way we can do this. And God is unhappy about this. They believed the, the bad report, and so God sends them into the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation passed away, except for Joshua and Caleb. And at the end of 40 years, we find them once again on the, uh, the border of the Promised Land, this time just east of the Jordan River, and looking over. And uh, we then come to Deuteronomy, uh, which are the last words of, of Moses. He gives, uh, it's basically five sermons that he gives to Israel as he recollects all that God has said and all that God has done for them. It's basically his farewell address to a new generation of Israelites as they get ready to march into the land. So, once again, we are on the edge of the land. Can God do it? And that's the end of the Pentateuch. That's the end of the first five books of the Bible. Um, and we uh, step into Joshua. And Joshua was Moses' like, second-in-command guy. He was one of the good spies, as we already mentioned. And he leads Israel in a number of military victories to take the land, and throughout the book they divide it up between the 12 tribes of Israel. And while Joshua and Israel have a lot of victories, the, the stories that we see in Joshua highlight that if Israel is fully dependent on God, they are successful. But when they're not, they are less than successful. The land is a gift from God to Israel. He is excited to, to give it to them. This is the great fulfillment of the promises that we talked about so much last week to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You might remember the story of Jericho, where, where God tells the Israelites to march around the city for seven days, and on the last day, blow the trumpets and raise a shout, and the walls come crumbling down. And so, oh, God is so amazing and powerful. And, they, and uh, in obedience to, to God's instructions, they kill every living thing um, in Jericho, which is a really challenging thing for us to get our modern minds around. 
And guess what? I don't have time to deal with that this morning. So I apologize. I just like to bring stuff up and go, hey, here's a tough one. Google it, you know. But um, come and talk to me. We can talk about that. And so they destroy every living thing in, in Jericho except for Rahab and her family. Right? Rahab uh, had co- cooperated with the, with, with the Lord, and so they are spared. And this is such a big deal. Such a big deal because Rahab is a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. She's not part of the 12 tribes. There's a, there's a chance, there's some discussion in academic circles. There's this, there's this Hebrew word that means harlot, and there's a very similar word that means innkeeper. And, and uh, Rahab is des- described as that. And so in Hebrew, there's consonants. It's like only consonants. And so, and depending on what vowels you add in there after the fact, you, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a similar word. And so is she a harlot? Maybe. Is she an innkeeper? Maybe. We don't, we don't exactly know. But she is a foreigner. She's looked down on. She's a woman. She's not really that important. And she should have just been destroyed with everybody else. But God honors her commitment and her working with the, the Israelites. And so he saves her. And he doesn't only save her, he makes her part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. We see that in Matthew 1.5, that Rahab is a, is a forefather, a foreperson, whatever. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. I'll just say it the exact same way two times in a row. And, uh, and so, like, what does this mean to us? It means that none of us is outside of the grace of God. None of us is outside of the, the uh, invitation to be part of the family. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what your social class is. It doesn't matter you know, uh, what your, how much you have in your bank account. None of that matters, right? What matters is that if you are faithful to God, he brings you in. He invites you into his family. And so... There's a bunch of great victories, as I said, in the book of Joshua. But there's also a lot of Israel disobeying God. They were instructed to remove the people living in the land, but instead they made treaties with them and they intermarried with them and practiced pagan religions and idolatry. And this... uh, idolatry, this disobedience, plagues Israel for their entire history. And as we will see, we'll see a lot next week, there's these moments of faithfulness and commitment to God, a couple of good kings, but there are these huge periods of time where they are in rebellion against the Lord and they reap the consequences, eventually being um, dispersed, what is the, the word? Sent out, destroyed, gone. What's that? There's a word for it. It's a good word, but I can't remember it. Normally, Amber would say it. Where are you, Amber? Um, anyway, so they they get dispersed, and it get, there's bad consequences for disobeying God. Anyway, that's all I'm saying. So we have to ask here. You know, how is God going to fulfill His 
covenant promise to be a blessing to all of the world through the seed of Abraham if these guys are so messed up? Well, as we have seen before and as we will see uh, moving forward, God is not surprised. He's not shocked at what the, the, that the Israelites tend to be faithless and enter into this kind of fallen corruption. Right? And, his, and he is still bringing the seed of the woman. He's still bringing a descendant of Abraham that will fully deliver his people. He's sending Jesus to restore and to renew them. And we see, I'll just close quickly here, with this idea uh, that Jesus and Joshua have the same basic meaning. Joshua uh, is Hebrew and Jesus is, is Greek, but they both signify, they both mean Savior. And so Joshua was called a, a Savior because he delivered Israel and they conquered their enemies. But Jesus is called Savior because he delivers people from their sin. And we see uh, in uh, Joshua this type or this representation of, uh, of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 121, talking about Mary, says, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He is our Savior, and we see that in the book of Joshua. So, how do we apply this? What do we do? This, I apologize that we had to do this. I mean, that was a, that was a fire hose of story. So, I encourage you, just go ahead and read through Joshua through Judges. Did I mention Judges? Uh, it's the next book of the Bible. It, it doesn't go well. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Judges in one a partial sentence. So, how do, we, um, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, Two things. We can remember and we can repent. So as we think about the story of Exodus and Joshua delivering his people into the promised land, it reminds us uh, that God is our deliverer too. We were stuck in our sin and God brought us into freedom. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God, through Jesus, has delivered you if you have put your faith, if you have given your allegiance to Christ. And so this week, I encourage you, during your quiet time, make a list of what God has delivered you from. The Israelites remembered the the Passover every year, retelling this story. And so we, too, can benefit from thinking, man, what has God brought me from? And I bet we all have a story to tell. And what has God brought me into? So make that list. Think about that and give God thanks. And the second thing that we can do is repent. We saw that throughout Israel's history, their loyalty is divided. They fall into idolatry a lot. Uh, the golden calf was just the beginning, but they continued falling into this over and over again. And we can see a, a, a parallel of this in our own lives as we also are so quick to fall into 
idolatry. And so our, our second application, our second response to this is to go, God, is there still any idolatry kind of living in my life? Right, and idolatry can look a lot of ways. Entertainment, sex, sexual sin, video games. Uh, video games would be really low, it's fine. Really. Um, <laughs> food, alcohol, cars, hunting, politics, work. The list is virtually endless because human beings are really good and excited about making things into idols. And so I encourage you this week to go, God, is there anything in my life that I have made into an idol. Then just repent and put God back on the throne. Um, there we go. Okay, there we go. We did it. Six books of the Bible and like, I don't know what, like 30 next week or something like that? Okay, should be fine. Okay, well, Father God, we love you. And we're so grateful that you are our deliverer. Lord, when we were lost in sin, when we were, were dead and, and, and trapped in our own rebellion, you reached down and you lifted us up. You sent your son, Jesus, to break the power of sin, to overcome the, the powers and the principalities of this world that would keep us in bondage. And Lord, we thank you for that freedom. And Lord, help us to live out of that, to recognize that we have been called your sons and your daughters. That we aren't just sitting around uh, waiting for you to, to come back so that we can go to heaven. But just like Abraham was a vital part of your story and Moses was a vital part of your story. God, we too have been invited in. That we have a role to play. To, to bear witness of you. To, to be stewards of this creation with you. To bring uh, truth and justice and righteousness into our world. Lord, help us to live out of that identity every day. Lord God, we love you. And we give you all the honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.